at the beginning of the summer, uh, I went to a um, I went to a folk festival. Did anyone anyone love folk music? Yeah, I got one or two hands. Good, just a few. And I'm I'm talking. So I went to a folk festival. A folk festival is called called. Uh, it's in a place called Cropperty uh, near Banbury in Oxfordshire, and it's an actual. Uh, the festival's it's, it's the Fairport Convention. Uh, in Cropperty and Fairport uh, are basically this uh, mega old like folk band and this, this, this festival's been going for 40 years uh, basically as old as I am and, uh, and, and, and I'm talking like proper hardcore British folk you know I'm talking old man long white beard flowery trousers dancing around on a bridge playing a flute you know like the whole deal you know I'm talking Morris dancers uh, in fact when I, go, when I got has anyone ever seen Morris dancers like proper you know, some people are thinking, going, what on earth are you talking about right now? So my, I, I, I turned up on, on a bus. I got the bus there uh, because if you come on a motorbike or if you're uh, coming on foot, you get to camp for free. So, am I the only person that loves doing things for free? Yeah, so I turned up, so I made the effort to turn up on foot. So I got a bus there and I turned up. And as I turned up, the festival's over there. And there's this little cul-de-sac. This is like separate to the festival. We're out in the middle of Oxfordshire now. And, and out, out over there, so there, there are eight grown men dressed all in white with little tassels and bells around their ankles just going up and down with their little hankies like this. I don't know if you've ever seen more. It's crazy, you know, and this, but this is what, so it's a proper folk festival. And, um, but of course there's loads of cool new guys that are coming up now and you've got people like Seth Lakeman or the Wildwood Kin. Uh, you know, these are the cool new folkies. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, the thing, the thread that runs through uh, all these uh, folk artist is the fact that they tell stories, they tell tales of old, uh, you know, these, these amazing kind of like emotional stories, and actually stories are so important because they kind of build culture, you know, they're the platform for vision and for expectation in the future, uh, and I was reminded just how powerful these stories, how emotive these stories are as I listen to these songs and these tales uh, of old uh, being sung to me uh, in a field which... Um, was ended up is quite damp and cold, but uh, you know, hey, that's a, that's another story. We had a great, we had a great, great time, and uh, 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 and we're kind of sort of moving into a time there where where we're going to think a little bit about our vision here, as we tend to in September each year, just kind of reminding us of what it is God's calling us to, and and I kind of I kind of thought actually we before we do that, I want us to kind of take a step back and think about the story that underpins that. Uh, and actually, there, there's an SPS story. There's a St. Paul's Shadwell story, uh, in, a story that starts in 1656. There's a, there's a guy called Matthew Mead uh, who uh, was sent from St. Dunstan's, a church in Stepney. He was sent to plant a chapel of ease here in Shadwell to reach out and to minister to uh, the workers of the docks, uh, the sailors that were coming through. And, uh, and right back there began what is now like 350 years of ministry and of worship in this place. You know, it, it kind of the well goes deep here. You know, it's an amazing thing to be able to step into what God is doing here at St. Paul's Shadwell. Uh, and for 350 years, this has been a place of landing and of launching, a harbour for what God is at work doing. You know, it's so exciting. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called, there's a guy called Captain James Cook. 
You know, he was here, he was here, he was part of the ministry here, and he was sent out and he went to discover new lands. You know, incredible. Uh, there's, there's a guy called Thomas Jefferson, you might have heard of him, he's an American president. You know, his mum was here baptising her kids, he ended up off in America. You know, what an amazing thing that people have been sent from this place to do remarkable things. And, and, and actually, over the last uh, 10 years, uh, there's been an incredible kind of sort of rejuvenation of, of, of the ministry of sending and planting from this place. Over the last nine years, four new church plants have been sent out from this church across here in Tower Hamlets and have massively impacted this part of East London. In the last three years, we've, we've seen six uh, leaders being sent out into training for ordained ministry. Four of them have been ordained now uh, and are leading new churches. In the last two years, we've been able to be involved in commissioning our first grandchild church plant, you know, a plant of one of our plants, and we've been able to send out uh, and bless families uh, who are going to impact different parts of London. Uh, you know, we've even been able to support our first initiative south of the river, even south of the river. You know, God is at work south of the river. It's amazing. Uh, and actually, what I find so exciting is that right now, uh, in fact, tomorrow, We've got three SPS leaders uh, who are beginning a brand new pathway of leadership training, ordination training, uh, a college in, in West London uh, to be raised up to be, to be new church planters, new church leaders. You know, there are others that are in that kind of discernment process thinking, is this what God is calling us to do? Uh, and of course, this year we were able to bless uh, Father Bernard, uh, who was here amongst us, and send him out to, uh, to plant a church in Vienna in a Roman Catholic context. Uh, and of course, Jason and Pam and, uh, and the team, some of you who are here now who are heading uh, into Limehouse, not as far as Vienna, but Limehouse, and, uh, and planning something new there too. You know, it's remarkable to see the way that over the years people are landing here and then launching into the new things of God. You know, that's our story, and that underpins the big, bold vision that we have to make disciples, to transform communities, and to plant churches. That's our vision. And my hope is actually you could turn around to anyone who's, who's a regular here at St. Paul's, who's part of this family, and say, what's the vision? And they will tell you, it's to make disciples, to transform communities, and to plant churches. Make disciples, transform communities, plant churches. That's what we do. Um, what I love about the vision is it's, it's not something that you just hear about, but it's something that you get to see. Because God is at work amongst us. And he's been doing it here for 350 years. And I feel so privileged to be able to step into that SPS story and share it with all of you. But you know what? There is a story that goes deeper than that. And that's the story I want to look at today. Uh, and that's God's story. It's God's story. Uh, and that is the story that actually underpins our history, our identity. It underpins everything in our vision. You know, we've been talking about a lot of stories throughout the summer. If you've been tracking with us over these summer months, uh, we've, we've had a good run. Right? It, it's, not been, it's only been, like I think, it's five weeks, and we've looked at Joshua, Jacob, David, Abraham, Sarah, Ruth, Esther, Jonathan, Amos, and Gideon. You know, we've been telling stories about the heroes of our faith. It's a good list, isn't it? Uh, and I, and I want to lean on one more of our heroes that we find uh, back in, in Scripture to, uh, to remind us of God's story. And so today I'd love to speak to you from the book of 
Isaiah. Uh, is that okay? I'm going to tell you a story uh, that Isaiah told to us. And, uh, and hey, if you want to join with me, if you want to follow it in, in your Bibles, you might just want to, uh, we're going to jump around a bit. Just put your fingers in chapters 5, 9, and 27. Chapters 5, 9, and 27. Uh, I'm going to read them out uh, at various points, so you're welcome just to listen. Uh, but if you want to follow along, it's Isaiah 5, 9, and 27. And whilst you're just finding those, I'm going to give you a quick bit of uh, context. Uh, Isaiah, uh, hey, he was an amazing guy. Isaiah was a prophet. Um, does that, does that, uh, people love prophets. Prophets? Do we, do we know much about prophets? Prophets, these are the people that speak God's word. You know, sometimes they're a bit... They're a bit nuts. They come across a bit crazy. Uh, But these are people that kind of carry the word of God to us. Uh, And Isaiah was an amazing prophet who spoke God's word. He lived in Jerusalem uh, in kind of the latter half of uh, of Israel's kingdom period. And uh, and he he spoke on God's behalf to, to the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and to Judea. Uh, And he warned them, uh, he warned them that their rebellion against God was going to come at a cost. Uh, And he warned them that God was going to use the great empires of Assyria and then Babylon to bring judgment against uh, this nation if, if they continued to persist in idolatry and oppression of the poor. You know, it's interesting that, you know, these are the things that, that Jesus picks up, doesn't he? Actually, when he's asked, you know, what is it that we need to do uh, to follow God? He says, will, will you love God? This is Jesus' royal law, to love God, love your God, have no gods before God, and to love your neighbour as you love yourself. You know, idolatry is putting other things before God. You know, and we're called to be a people that raises up those around us. We don't want to oppress the poor and the needy, but have compassion. And, uh, and sadly, history declares Isaiah a true prophet, because we know that actually Assyria did rise up and smash through the northern kingdoms of Israel, carrying God's people off in exile. And actually, it wasn't long after that that the great nation of Babylon rose up and kind of came through and took the lot. North, south, Jerusalem fell. The people of God were carried away. It's a dark period in Israel's history. But you know, along with these announcements of judgment, Isaiah announced hope. Isaiah believed deeply that God uh, would fulfill his covenant promise. Isaiah believed deeply that that God would send a king. He would send a saviour to come and establish his kingdom, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He believed that someone would come to lead God's people back into obedience. And this this was all going to be so that the blessing, the salvation of God would be released across the world to all nations. You know, this was Isaiah's great hope. You know, is is, is anyone pleased tonight that we don't just get judgment, but we get hope? You know, Uh, you know, God's judgment is always mingled with hope. And, uh, and, and uh, the, the last thing to kind of just, just say before I get into it here is that actually what we're looking at here is, is really a collection of prophetic poems. And the language that's used here uh, in Isaiah is remarkable. You know, scholars uh, agree that actually the language of Isaiah is some of the most beautiful uh, that we read in Scripture. 
Isaiah was a major prophet and he was a master poet. You know, Isaiah told stories like a folk musician. You know, this stuff belongs on a stage. It's compelling. And actually scholars say that it's a nightmare trying to translate Isaiah because it's so hard to kind of capture the beauty of the language when you translate it. One scholar uh, wrote this, he said, the fugitive rhythms, the musical euphony, the charming assonances in this appeal, well, they're impossible to translate. I don't even know what half those words mean. Right? But it's basically, this is good stuff. This is beautiful language, amazing poetry. These are stories that need to be told. Hey, why don't we just pray and then uh, we're going to get into it in chapter Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us everything that we need to grasp hold of who you are, your character, your heart, the love that you have for us, the hope that is extended before us. And so Jesus, as we just take these moments just to consider something of this big story, God, I pray that you would challenge us, shape us, mould us. Jesus, we want to be more like you when we leave this place than we were when we came in. Amen. Amen. Isaiah, chapter 5. The song of the vineyard. I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up. He cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower as well. Sorry, he built a watchtower in it and he cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its walls and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and the briars and the thorns, they will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And then Isaiah targets this squarely at the leaders in Israel. And he finishes up saying he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. It's not a pretty picture, is it? I should have warned you. Maybe this tale is a tragedy. You know, there's this horrific trajectory that we find of, of delight to disappointment, to disaster. Distress, destruction. But you know what? It begins with delight. The tale begins with 
delight. In fact, I love the way it begins. And actually, I think this is one of the things that really caught me. I read this first in, in the summer, and I really felt God speak to me uh, through it. And I think it was the dramatic contrast between the beginning and the end of this tale. You know, it starts with delight. You get this sense of love and care. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up. He cleared it. He planted it. He built. He looked. You know, here is a picture of a creator who cares. You know, who's putting effort and care into his creation. You know, there's a delight here in the making. Yeah, I've got a really creative wife. Uh, my wife, Charlotte, many of you will know her. Uh, she is what, uh, uh, what Instagram would like to call a maker. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're a maker, then you will know this because you'll follow other makers, and makers make stuff, and then they post pictures of it. Uh, and uh, uh, Charlotte is a maker, and, uh, and actually she's an amazing maker, and she has been making stuff ever since... I have known her. Uh, she will pour hours and hours into this craft and into that craft, and she's so good at it. She's amazing. You know, one, at the moment, she's making loads and loads of like quilted blankets. That's her thing at the moment. Loads of quilted blankets, and she'll pour hours and hours into her quilted blanket, and they're incredible. You know, sometimes I think, gosh, I could have just gone and bought that, you know. But, but she will pour hours and hours into the making. And, I, and the amazing thing is, as I watch her do this, I see her delight. You know, yeah, you could go and buy this stuff. You could, you, know, you could get someone else to do it for you. But actually, I know as I, as I watch Charlotte, it's in the making that there is the delight. And I think this is a little bit of a picture of God that we get here at the beginning of this tale, that our God is a God who delights in his creating. This maker who makes and loves it. You know, and it begins with delight. It begins with delight. And, and I think this is something that, that we need to hear tonight. That actually the story begins with delight. You know, God's delight over his creation. You know, God's delight over his creation is not something that comes later. It's not something that needs to be worked towards. It begins with delight. You know, God loves us first. You know, God is in love with this world. More specifically, God is in love with you. You know, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, that we, you, are God's masterpiece, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that have been stored ahead of you. You know, God looks at you in delight, and that is the beginning. That's where it starts. You don't have to work towards the delight. Our God is a maker who makes and loves the things that he makes. He loves us first. But you know, there's a twist in this tale. This song is a song of a maker whose delight turns to disappointment. And you can almost hear the pain in the words in verse 4. What more could have been done for my vineyard than, than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? 
Suddenly the delight seems to have dissipated. You know, the great risk of love is to be vulnerable. To risk disappointment. I've got a little girl who's six years old, and, and it's, been, it's, it's been the summer holidays, and I've been able to spend loads of, uh, of time with Adelaide. She's six. Uh, it's been brilliant. Uh, it's also brilliant that she's now gone back to school. Um, <laughs> we've been a little like, you need to go back to school now. You've got way too much energy. But I've, I've been able to spend loads of time with my, with my little girl. I love her so much. We've had the best time uh, together. You know, one of the interesting things that she's just started doing uh, is she's just started kind of like, I don't, I don't know if this is a thing or just because because, you know, we're bad parents or whatever, but she started rating me and Charlotte against one another. Who's the best? Okay, uh, and basically, I, I kind of just play into it every time. And, um, uh, and of course, it, it, you know, it doesn't need to be said, Charlotte is the best every time. And, uh, and so here am I trying uh, to win my daughter's affection. And I, so I took a swim in uh, one day over the summer holidays and we had an amazing time. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to be the best. And, uh, and then she actually said to me, she said, if you take me for ice cream, you'll be the best. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And, she, <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, this is terrible parenting. Basically, I'm just playing into this, like, you know, hook, line and sinker. You know, if you take me for an ice cream, you'll be the best. And she's got this thing where she's like, yeah, you know, daddy, daddy's got 10 bests. Uh, but mummy, she's got 3,000 bests, you know. So anyway, so I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to up my best level here. So I took a swim in, a uh, little daddy-daughter date, and then we went to the ice cream shop, and I bought a really nice ice cream, and then we sat down at the table, and she looked at me, she's like, got her ice cream in front of her, and she said, mummy's the best. <laughs> oh, that was it. Oh, and then she wouldn't even share her ice cream with me. Do you believe that? I know. Hey, this is, I, you know, I shouldn't be saying these kind of things as an analogy. I mean, you know what, to, you know, this is a silly example, but, you know, when we love people, we want, we want their affection so much. You know, I know that there's so many things that I have done in my life to disappoint those who love me, to disappoint those around me. You know, ways that I have not lived up to what I should have done, the things... I've said I'd do and haven't. You know, I know there's so many ways that I've let myself down, let other people around me down and, uh, and, and end up being surrounded by disappointment. You know, dis I guess if we're honest, all of us know disappointment in our lives at times. I guess if, if we're really honest, probably most of the time we can think of an area in our life of disappointment, unmet expectations, things that didn't happen the way that they were supposed to, things that we were going to do but didn't, things that someone else was going to do but didn't. You know, disappointment is so painful. You know, but I really believe that God wants to shine some light into that darkness for each of us. You know, I believe this is one of the things that God has, has said. You know, tonight I believe that God wants to shine some light into the darkness of disappointment. You know, because that is not what the Maker made. That's not how God created it to be. And actually, disappointment, if it's left unchecked, if it's left undealt with, is really, really dangerous. You know, we see the story continue. We just see this, this tale go 
on. You know, disappointment leads eventually to destruction and to distress. You know, actually, when we look around at our world, you know, we know that there is so much distress. There is so much destruction around us, stuff that is just not right. You know, I'm sure so much of it is rooted in one way or another in disappointment. I was thinking about how I could best illustrate this to you. And then, and then, and then last week, I was sitting there watching BBC Question Time. I don't know if anyone watched it at the end of last week. And it's the usual political debate. And I'm not, I don't want to stand up here tonight and make any kind of political uh, comment. You know, it's not my place to do that here. Um, but I think no matter what our political persuasion is, when we look at what is going on in our nation today, and we look at the level of discourse, oh, it just feels like it's everything that is wrong with humanity. On every side, in every way, across the board, it's like, what is going on? And I literally, I had to turn question time off. I was like, man, I just literally cannot cope with this. It's like, it's like the violence of language, the abuse, the attack of those around, kind of like the clamoring for power and dominance, disunity, just fear. Now, I've never seen anything quite like it as, as I've observed politics here in this country but this it seems like this is what we see today and I just had to turn it off but then as I reflected on it I kind of I wondered gosh is this maybe this feels like a bit of a a mirror for like all the worst parts of of me you know the times when I I flare up in anger the times when I say things that I, I Gosh, I really regret, you know, the times when I, uh, I, I doubt, the times when I, I, I stay distant from those I should come close to, the, the time I grapple with fears. You know, it's really, it's really difficult when you start to think about this stuff, uh, but you think, do you know what? Something's gone wrong somewhere. You know, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Humanity is broken. You know, we know that just by looking around. You know, many of you will have heard of the great evangelist J. John. He's got this amazing phrase. Uh, he talks about uh, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You know, somewhere along the road, this fertile ground here got spoiled. Spoiled. Disappointment leads to disaster, destruction. This is a tragedy. You know, Isaiah goes on and it kind of almost seems to like an angry execution of judgment that we read here in this tail. You know, that which doesn't work, let's just get rid of it. That which is not fit for purpose, uh, let's let it go. You know, the vineyard that bears no fruit is laid to waste. And to be brutally frank, if we're just trying to be reasonable about it, it kind of makes sense. If it ain't working, get rid of it. It's kind of like a reasonable, brutal justice. But it is a dark turn in the story. 
He looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but he heard only cries of distress, and actually the judgments continue on. And and in Isaiah uh, chapter 8, verse 22, uh, we read that you look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fear and gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It's a dark tale. But you know what? The story doesn't finish there. The story's not over. In fact, something amazing happens. And we're going to get to it in a minute. In chapter 27, this, this tale reprises. You know, and it's surprisingly different. But something happens that makes it different. Something happens that, that, that changes the narrative that alters the trajectory of this tale. You you know, we landed there, Isaiah 8.22, in utter darkness. But many of you will know Isaiah 9, which leads off with the words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. Light has dawned. You might recognise this from Christmas. That's when we normally pull it out. You know, Isaiah goes on. He says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Into the darkness, Isaiah prophesies light. Into the mess, into the destruction, the disappointment and the disaster, Isaiah prophesies Jesus. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is coming and everything is about to change. The narrative is shifting. The trajectory is altering. Hey, won't you flick with me to Isaiah 27. The song reprises, and Isaiah sings this. He says, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I am not angry. You know, what an amazing line. I love that in this tale. God says, I am not angry in the midst of the mess, the disappointment, the destruction. Suddenly we have a God who says, I'm I'm not angry. You know, this, this suddenly is the God that we recognise, our God of love, our God who chooses us, who chooses to continue to delight in us. I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I'd march against them in battle. 
I'd set them all on fire or else I'd let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel would bud and blossom and fill the world with fruit. The tale is twisted again, and this time the twist is a twist of hope. It's a twist of love. You know, suddenly anger is replaced with gentleness, exposure with protection, chaos and violence with peace and reconciliation. This is our God of love, delighting in his creation. And the result is life. Light, love, life, bud and blossom will fill all the world with fruit. You know, this is God's story. This is God's song. It's a story of delight, disappointment, destruction, but then a radical twist in the tale as we see unexpected light in the darkness, love and life. Yeah, this is God's story. This is the story that we get to tell, the story that underpins our vision. This is a song of hope in the place of judgment, life in the place of death. And there's something really important I want us to understand here. Crucially, this is a story of fertility to fruitfulness. I don't know if you noticed that at the beginning of those two episodes, those two movements in the song. It began, I sing about a fertile vineyard, finished with singing about a fruitful vineyard. You know, there's an important difference between the two, isn't there? You know, ultimately God is not calling you to be fertile ground, he's calling you to be fruitful ground. Yeah, potential is important. Potential is important, but potential is not the goal. You know, the goal is produce. You know, you might potentially be a great worship leader, but until you open your mouth, and sing, well, you know, you might potentially be a great evangelist. You know, potentially, you might see everyone in your workplace come to know Jesus. Until you open your mouth and begin to speak. You might potentially be a great teacher. But until you actually sit down and open your Bible with someone, you know, you might potentially be a great kids worker or a youth worker. You might be amazing on the kids team here. You might have a massive impact in someone's life. But until you actually take the time to invest in someone, until you, until you, until you, potential is important, but potential is not the goal produce is the goal that's what we are called to and you know we put so many roadblocks in the way of potential don't we you know we, we might say well I'm just not sure I can handle it I'm not sure I'm gifted enough I'm not sure I've got the time or the resources you know sometimes I'm not even sure if I've got an inclination for this stuff 
Because you know the great news is, the good news, is it's not even about you. You know, the only thing that moves you from fertility to fruitfulness, from potential to produce, is the unexpected light of Jesus Christ shining in your life. The love of God which is unconditional and brings fullness of life, brings fruitfulness. You know, it's only always about Jesus in you. He wants to move you from fertility to fruitfulness because that is the goal, that's what we're being called to. You know, not just anticipation, but activation, not just potential, but a powerful, potent productivity as we make disciples, as we transform communities, and as we plant churches. That's what we are called to here in this place. Fruitfulness. 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 It's the word of God over us. And this is the compelling catalyzing story that puts dynamism into our vision. You know, without this story, our vision is nothing. It's got nothing to rest on. But we make disciples, we transform communities, we plant churches because our God is a God whose story is great and whose love is great. This is his song. This is what he's singing over each one of us. I wonder if the band want to come back. We're going to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, why don't we stand? I want to finish just by reading a, a couple of verses from Zephaniah chapter 3. You know, we're going for it with these Old Testament prophets today, okay? You know, but this is God's story. This is the tale that needs to be told, the song that needs to be sung. Uh, and the most remarkable thing is we have a God who is singing over us. Zephaniah 3 says this. It says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear harm. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is singing over you. This, this is his song.